0: All right, well if it takes you a couple of seconds to uh, get yourself organized and ready to listen, go ahead and take those now. Talk amongst yourselves. All right, yeah, we got that. Get your coffee settled. Because um, I'm determined that we're going to keep hearing some of these things over and over again. Uh, so our introduction, the time that I normally has been... Introducing the message until everybody gets settled uh, is significant for us to have a repeat on, so I'm just stalling and waiting until everybody can get settled, because I know how it is. I mean, it takes me a little while to get settled up here. All right, so y'all ready? Say, oh yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about it. Let's do our verse that we're going to be studying for a while here, well, at least till next week. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me just read it in the first part of 43, and then we'll talk about it and kind of catch us up to where we are and then move forward. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. So we're in the book of Acts, and I want to remind you again this week, as I did last week and the week before last and the week before that, and probably will next week, In your hearing, with your mind plugged in, of a few things. First of all, that God has placed our church in this book, in this study, and it's a very timely and significant study for us. God's purpose for us in this book, in this study, right now, is timely. You know, it's in God's timing, and He has purpose for us that's tied to this. God wants us to find out what it takes to become a community that blesses. That's the vision for the years. It's, it's the word that God has for us. It means every, every part of that phrase, which is not a long phrase, has, has significant meaning to God. And we're trying to dive into that to find out, God, what is, what is your purpose? What is your meaning for us at this moment in the life of the Gathering Place Church? Now, we've got a lot of folks visiting for whatever reason over the last six or seven weeks, uh, I, I, I kind of gave a face like I'm irritated about that. I'm not. I'm very excited that you're here visiting with us. All right? And I hope that God will call you to be a part of this movement. Uh, but I, I want to say that, uh, it, that we, I'm talking about the Gathering Place Church. I'm talking about a purpose that God has for us. So if you hear this purpose and you find yourself being connected with that, then you should pray and ask the Lord if he would lead you to be a part of this movement. what God has for us to do in this community because we're not just meeting to have church we're not just meeting to go through the Bible and and have theological discussion and and expand our brains for the purpose of expanding our brains and arguing with people about our beliefs we have a call we are God's bride Jesus' bride, the church and there's a call that he has for us in this community and it's unique it's unique to this body as every other church has their unique call. And so I encourage you to listen with that in mind. God has a, wants us to find out particularly what it means to be a community, first of all, a biblical community. So we're working on that. We're going through the book of Acts, and, and we have uh, uh, this thought in mind. Since the book of Acts is the, literally called the book of Acts, because not Acts as in A-X, like the Cajun I asked you, are the acts that you cut with, but ACTS, uh, the book of Acts, is called the book of Acts because it's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the apostles. It's the first acts of the Holy Spirit uh, in the lives of the apostles and these 3,000 plus that were saved that put their faith in Christ and received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and what happened as the, the Holy Spirit has control and works in the lives of believers. So we've looked at the origin of that movement. And the origin is the same for us. It happens on an individual level. So every member of this body, and those of you that are visiting with us today, I hope that you have already had this experience where you've had your own personal experience with, with God. Where you have had a, a, an origin of the Holy Spirit calling you, the Holy Spirit uh, giving you wisdom or information in your brain that, of what it takes to, to have a relationship with Christ through His free gift salvation through the blood of His Son, which we're going to talk about today. Um, So you've already had that, and and you have been redeemed. But also that you've had your own personal, since your redemption, since your salvation, you've had your own personal encounters with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and given you things to do. And you you have obeyed what He said, and you've seen the Holy Spirit doing God-exclusive activity in your life. That you know that the Holy Spirit is real, not only in, at the point of salvation, but the Holy Spirit lives in you and continues to do what Jesus said he would do. Guide us to all truth, convict us of sin, uh, teach us, remind us of the things that Jesus said. All those things that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. So we looked at the origin of that and, and then that gathered 3,000 that God gathered at the right time to hear this message. Then those new believers followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their devotion to the Word of God or the apostles' teaching. And we saw four expressions of that in our church. First expression is what you're experiencing today. It's the the, the called elder of uh, of preaching in this church. I get before God, I ask God with as much passion as I can muster up. Asking God, what is your word for this body? So I'm passionate about it. That's why I take the time to do what we do. It's why I'm not up here just trying to give you cool ideas and, and sound good. I'm, I want you involved in this message because it's for you. And so I, that's my job. That's one expression. Another is each of you and your devotion to personal daily time in the word of God. And so I hope that you are doing that. You, if not, you're going to hear it again next week because we have heard it and heard it and heard it, and we're still not joining the Holy Spirit. We're not following what the Holy Spirit's prompting us to do and spending time in his word by ourselves, alone with God, every day, as as much as possible, and receiving that word with joy. And then the third expression is our life groups. It's the expression of community on the level of the 12, where uh, we talked about uh, fleshing out the messages that we hear on Sunday. And so we talk about those things, how we've engaged these, these truths within our daily lives, how the Holy Spirit has brought that truth to life in our, in our daily encounters with people and with, with circumstances, and in good and bad circumstances, how the truth that we're speaking on Sunday is making its way into our lives, and we flesh those things out. And then the fourth thing was our devotion to fight the enemy as he has employed every tactic possible, and, and right now we are feeling it, right? Right? And in life groups, I've never heard more people talking about how much we're feeling the enemy's tactics to try and keep us out of the Word of God. And so we're a church that's that's devoted to the apostles' teachings. Then last week, or, uh, yeah, last week we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit put into the hearts of these new believers a desire for koinonia fellowship for or fellowship, and that fellowship we, d- we defined last week as, first of all, the common interest uh, that all of these believers had. It was a common interest in the consuming, infilling Spirit of God and what the Spirit was leading them to do in this new experience of Jesus living inside of them. They were overwhelmed by that. They were bewildered. They were asking questions. They were getting answers. And the Holy Spirit, as we we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to see so many different experiences that the Holy Spirit was leading them to do in their time. And some of those things we're going to embrace as a part of our body and our experience. Also, they were devoted to mutual active participation in the Holy Spirit's prompting. It wasn't one person doing the work and a few people uh, and everybody else sitting on the sidelines. It wasn't like a typical church today where, as you've heard statistically, it, it, 20% of the people are doing all the work and 80% of the people are just in it for what's in it for me. And usually, even the 20%, or at least a portion of those, are doing it because of what's in it for them, because they like to be in, in the forefront. But it, it's, it's all of us, it's a communal participation. In, the following, in following these Holy Spirit's promptings. And it's also, we saw that it was vertical and horizontal, that, it, 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 that we can't be right with God and not also have it affect the way that we do life with other people. We are committed, devoted to one another in this body. Uh, we, we, we don't take your participation in this body lightly. We want you to know where we've come and where we're going as a church. And so it doesn't matter to me, for instance, why, whether this sounds impressive to you or not, or whether you, you came last week and you're coming back this week to kind of check us out. It doesn't matter to me whether you like what you hear or not. What I know is if the Holy Spirit gets in you for, to be a part of this body, you're going to like what you hear. And we have people that drive from Dry Creek every day, every Sunday you know, drive an hour every Sunday to come to church here. Why? Because God called them to be in this body. They've been doing it for 10 years. And so we're called together to this same cause, and and we have a relationship with God, and God's called us to be in relationship with one another. We don't take that lightly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then the Holy Spirit also, uh, part of Cornania means departing the life of willful disobedience. We don't We can't say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. So so if you're in this body and you're a member of the gathering place and you said, yes, God's called me to be a part of this body, then I hope that you dealt last week with this issue of sin in your own life, of choosing to allow sin to just sit there and walk in it. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not us becoming a community that blesses. Biblical community means that we we are done with sin. Now, we're not perfect. We're still doing sin, but we are not holding on to sin and walking in a lifestyle of darkness. So every sin, everything that we think is sin, we bring before God for the sake of the community, not just for our own sake. For the sake of the message of God. If we're going to be a community that blesses, then the world around us needs to see that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable. And we need to understand it first. And then the fifth thing that we talked about last week is that there's so many different Expressions of community are participation, which is another word that, that's used in Scripture. The word koinonia also means participation and is used as participation. For instance, participation in the gospel, putting the word out together. Participation in the, in the financing of Paul's ministry in Scripture. Paul said that they koinoniaed with him in financing the, the ministry, and we do that here blessing uh, others through the gifts that we give. So, participation together. So, today we're going to look at the next action that the Spirit-filled fellowship automatically was devoted to. And remember, devoted means constant commitment to. It's not just, oh, I think I'm going to make a resolution. Now, this is constant commitment that comes from the Filling, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he lives in us and he's working himself out. And what does that look like? It's constant devotion. And one of the things that they participated in was the breaking of bread. And so today we're going to talk about that. The meaning of, baking of the bread, uh, breaking the bread, basically it's a communal, communal meal. And so it can mean a number of things. And two basic meanings I want to bring up today. One is eating together and the, the second is the Lord's Supper. Uh, Eating together, literally, this is what it means. It means eating together as a sign of mutual affection, love, and concern for one another. It's not just eating for the sake of sustenance. It is eating together, first of all, us eating together as believers who are called into community with one another. What the Holy Spirit does is he draws us together over meals that's that's common where I grew up, in South Louisiana. We were always drawn together over meals. We get that. I mean, we get that in Central Louisiana too. But man, we really got it in South Louisiana. And our choice of beverages was a little bit different in South Louisiana. But we were drawn together to enjoy the meal together. And 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 uh, our our missionary. I, I skyped with one of our missionaries this week in uh, in Turkey. Uh, Brandon Roadman, who's, you know, it's across the across the sea uh, from Israel. So, same kinds of people. And he said, man, it's so weird how God called me, a Cajun from South Louisiana, to go, and my wife, Cajun from South Louisiana, to go to Turkey. And we're, as we're living here, the culture is exactly the same. There's a, uh, a legalistic religion, which there was. We grew up in South Louisiana, and there is in Turkey. He said but there's warm, loving people that accept everybody into their homes and they eat together and they fellowship together and they drink together and it's just that life's a big community. And he says, I'm going to miss that because over here it's 80 million people in just Istanbul. So he said, when I walk out the door, there's people everywhere. <laughs> so I'm going to miss that when I come on furlough to, to, uh, back to Louisiana. But that's the feel. It's this community experience. Uh, so one of the expressions of that is just this meal. It's, it's a sign of mutual affection and love and eating together as a sign of mutual affection and love for one another. In Acts chapter 2, uh, the, a few verses later, we'll, probably, we'll come back to this, but I just want to hit this. In verses 46 to 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad." Uh, I'm sorry, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That receiving their food is breaking bread. It's the same phrase that's used there. Uh, Some of your translations may say that they were breaking bread together. So day by day, they were meeting in the temple, first of all, which we'll come back to that next week. But they were... This was after attending temple, the daily temple prayers. They were still, even though they were believers, they were still going to the temple every day. During the third, sixth, and ninth hour, the typical times for Jewish prayer, they were still going to the temple to pray because there was no contradiction in prayer. Obviously, they weren't holding on to the sacrificial system anymore that was being done in the temple, but they were going to the temple to pray together. And then after prayer, uh, they would they would, go, they would go and eat. We see uh, in chapter 3, we'll see this again later, but in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So, so picture this. Believers joining together because of this common life-changing experience that they shared with the Holy Spirit. I've right, been, been bound up in religion all of their existence, trying to make it trying to follow the rules, uh, trying to, to keep the law and all the extra things that the religious leaders and teachers of the law were adding. Experience, uh, picture that. Now they have this common life-changing experience with the Holy Spirit, and they're motivated by the Holy Spirit to pray together in such a way that, that it's a different experience than it was before, that they gather together at the temple prayer times and their prayer has come to life what used to be dead, monotonous prayers out of, out of a, a sense of, of uh, expectation uh, from the legal system. It, it was a rule-based prayer. They would get in there and they would, would say the words that they're supposed to say and there was no heart in it. There was no life in it. It, it was just following the rules because they, they thought that this might earn us something from God. If we follow what the Pharisees and teachers of the law tell us to do, and it was empty and dead, and now all of a sudden, and they used to come reluctantly. You know, it's like dragging your kids to go to church, to because they hate what's going on in the church. Some of you still maybe your parent, maybe maybe your wife, dragged you to church today. You know, because you still see this, you still you're still doing what you do here, out of the wrong spirit. And your prayers haven't come to life, and your, and your worship hasn't come to life. We talked about that this morning with the worship team. God, please, grab our minds' attention. You know, make our minds think about you in right ways, and then somehow, through the miracle of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, grab our heart's affection and, and gear it to you. Help us to think of real things that we have experienced with you that cause us to legitimately say the words that we're saying in these songs. And that's what happened with these people in the freshness of their experience with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe you have had some fresh experiences with the Holy Spirit lately. Maybe, maybe you're feeling it right now. And when you come to worship, all of a sudden it's real. And the prayers came to life. And so they would come out of that with that, that experience of prayer. Again, I'm taking next week's message. We may just bypass it. But anyway, yeah, they're praying together in the temple and they're, they're full. Their prayers are sweet and their experience is great. And it probably lasts longer than it ever did. And it's so real. And they're coming out of that, man. They're just so tied together because of that horizontal and, and vertical experience of koinonia. They're tied together with each other and with God in such a way that they're excited, man. They're, they're, they can't wait. To, they don't want to leave each other, right? We see that sometimes on Sunday morning here. We see it all the time on Sunday morning here. After church, you don't want to leave each other. I'm not sure the reason is because of the Holy Spirit. I hope it is. That you had an encounter with God and you're sharing that. Typically, it's about talking about other things. But, man, but just imagine. This is what we want God to do here. That he draws us together in such a way that we leave whatever religious experience we're having together with God. Whatever we're focusing to God together in Koinonia, that we leave that and we want to go eat together. Share meals together. We just want to get together and talk about uh, what we're experiencing with God. And that's the feel of what's going on here. Can you see how that's an extension of the spirit-filled community? And it doesn't stay in the church building, but it moves into homes and they share meals together. So eating wasn't just for sustenance, but it was, for, it was an expression of mutual love for God and for one another. Now, in the Jewish culture, again, just like in Turkey and in South Louisiana... The meals that they ate together was already a common practice, and it was one of the most common experiences of, uh, uh, one of the most common ways of expressing acceptance and love to people. Jesus is our example of this, and I think we need to also embrace this, and we'll talk about some expressions for us at the end. But Jesus is our example as, he, as we look at how he used meals to build community with people. First of all, with unbelievers, look at Matthew chapter 9. Verses 9 through 13, this is the strangest experience for a religious man or rabbi, a man who is seen as a rabbi, to ever have this encounter. And yet Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, which normally means, and the next phrase would be, and he went the other direction, if he were the common teacher of the law, our uh, religious leader in Jesus' day. But what does he do? This is what the Holy Spirit would do, by the way, because Jesus is the Holy Spirit. They are one. He said to him, follow me. The phrase actually means learn from me, be my disciple. He's inviting him into what a rabbi would invite a young Jewish boy into, an ongoing relationship. Follow me. This guy's at a tax collector's booth. But then look at what he does. He says, follow me. Um, Let me find my place. Here we go. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, the house of who? The house of Matthew. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus is our example in how he used meals to express love and acceptance, even to unbelievers, to sinners. He invited them in to to eat with him, to table with him, to sup with him. But also with believers, Matthew 14, verses 13 to 17. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is over. Send the crowds away. By, and, and the crowd at that point was a, certainly a mixture. It had some unbelievers in it. But the majority of them were following him to hear what he had to say. They were, this was a crowd of disciples at a very basic level who were saying, you know, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So he's teaching discipleship messages. He's discipling them. So they're believers, the majority of them. But, but Jesus says this. He says, they need not go away. Give them something to eat. Jesus was all about feeding them, and we know the story. Uh, The disciples are ready to send them away. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is the way that I build community with people. Let's invite them not only to stay, but let's invite them into community with us. We don't want them to think that the 12 are the only disciples. All of these people are disciples. Anyone who puts their faith in me and believes is a disciple. Let's invite them into community. So the breaking of bread was a way uh, that Jesus gave us, uh, gave us an example to invite believers into community. He also did it in intimate moments just with his disciples. So they, uh, in, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 24, verses 28 to 32, so they drew near to a village in which they were going. He acted as if they were going further, and this is after his resurrection, and Jesus appears to these two disciples. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is... Toward evening and day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, again, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? It was so characteristic of Jesus to eat with people, in order to invite them into intimate community with himself and his father, that when Jesus, they don't even recognize Jesus when he's teaching them the scriptures on the road. Now, Jesus taught them all the time, but what's the characteristic that made them recognize him? It was when he broke bread with them. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, and, they, and they ate together. Now they recognize Jesus. Listen, I, I, that, that one verse On the road to Emmaus, these two disciples walking with the resurrected Jesus. And that one concept or idea, I think, is something we need to hear more than anything else today. Listen, don't miss it. Jesus' invitation to break bread with people, to eat with them, to bless them with a meal, to invite them into intimate community with himself and the Father, for them to join together in this community through the breaking of bread, was a characteristic that caused them to recognize him it was so a part of who he was to receive everyone to invite everyone into the into the fellowship of a meal together that that's when the disciples recognized who he was so we see clearly that biblical community meant sharing communal meals together eating together as a sign of mutual affection love and concern for one another but the phrase breaking bread as i said also meant sharing the Lord's Supper together, following the command of Jesus to break bread and drink wine in remembrance of his broken body and shed blood. And I want to take a pause here just to say this to you guys because I, I don't want to miss these special moments. All right, so, so everybody ready for a special moment? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, this is just a special moment for me. It happens regularly during this, these types of, of uh, seasons. So years ago, when I just was determined to just preach what the Lord led me to preach for the body, at times confusing until we get in the middle of it, and then God opens it up and I say, okay, that makes sense. And we start responding to the word. Uh, when I stopped following the, the old rules of preaching sermons based on a liturgical calendar or based on uh, you know, July 4th, so we've got to preach on freedom, or you know, pick your mother Day, so we've got to preach on mom's. And, you know, all those themes that I was always under pressure to preach. Then I also applied it one time when God told me to preach through a book of the Bible. And I was in the midst of preaching through the book of the Bible and came to Christmas. And I'm thinking, man, you can't pass up Christmas and not preach a message on Christmas. But how in the text that I was already studying and already reading, the the Christmas message showed up in in the most beautiful way. And, and, and how, how many times that has happened. It's happened every time. There's never been a time when I'm preaching through a book of the Bible so far that when we get to the time of the season of whatever we're going through that God doesn't give me a message that fits the moment. So guess what this week is? This is the week of the Passion of Christ. It's Palm Sunday. We're talking about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and his crucifixion, and, and we're coming to breaking bread together in the Lord's Supper. So, I hope that gives you chill bumps like it does me, because here's what it does for me. Don't miss it. It doesn't mean that uh, we had a one, once in a lifetime cool experience that we can go, like, ooh, or it doesn't also mean that pastor's weird because he's got this weird idea, mysterious God. No, here's the deal is that God put us in the book of Acts. And how is it that I never take a, take, how many times have I taken four weeks to preach through one verse? Does anybody ever remember me doing that? Ever? Maybe, maybe it's a life. I don't do that. Why did we do that? I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't plan that out. I just, this week as I'm studying that passage, I thought, you are so cool. that you put us in the, in the breaking of bread on the, on Easter Sunday, or Sunday before Easter, now I don't know how next week's going to pan out, but I'm excited to see how he's going to add, how the Easter message is going to be about prayer. But anyway, so, so. This phrase means the Lord's, the sharing of the Lord's Supper. When we we talk about breaking of bread, they knew that. This is what Jesus did with them, a practice that was established by Jesus with his disciples that fulfilled the the prophetic practice uh, that had been going on since the exodus of Israel out of Egypt, right? On Passover, on the day of Passover uh, was the day that they shared this meal together. They shared a Passover meal, and Jesus changes the meaning of it. So Passover, it's the final miracle, I guess you know this, that, that brought about the release of Israel uh, from bondage in Egypt. So there's so much meaning in that passage. That, and we're going to dive into that just a little bit before we go to see what it means when we break bread together in the Lord's Supper, which we've we got a plan for that this week. So, so here's what, what's happening. You know, when Israel was in bondage and they cried out to Jesus, or to, to God, to deliver them. And God heard their cries, and he sends Moses to go and, and release the people from Israel uh, from Egypt. And Moses goes, and he tells Pharaoh everything that God tells him to tell him. And, and we see the ten plagues. The final miracle or plague that happens is the death of the firstborn, of every animal, of every, uh, every person, Jewish included, if they didn't do what God told them to do. So what did he tell them to do? He told them to kill a lamb. And, and an innocent lamb, a, a lamb without blemish, and to take the blood from the lamb and to put it on the doorpost. And when the death angel came that night to take away the firstborn of everyone, that the lamb would pass, uh, the a death angel would pass over the homes of those that had blood on the doorpost. Beautiful symbolism, right? And, ultimately, and of course, Pharaoh's um, child, firstborn, dies, and he, he finally releases Israel Uh, to go out into the wilderness. So it's the day of their release. And then on the heels of that, God gives Moses uh, a bunch of things that that they were supposed to do, uh, feasts that they would continue to follow. Uh, They were were commanded to celebrate those uh, at the time of their deliverance. And so that particular time every year, they would celebrate this feast. And there's a number of things that the feast involved, and I just want to touch on these a little bit, just to show you the connection. This is all prophetic. That whole process, the releasing of Israel from bondage uh, in Egypt, and, and, uh, and, all, and the Passover, the, the, uh, Passover uh, the death angel passing over because of the blood of a spotless lamb, all of that was a prophetic vision of, of something that was planned before the beginning of time. And in Ephesians, it talks about that, how before the beginning of time, that that, uh, that we were uh, predestined to, to be spotless or purified, uh, to be sinless based on what Christ did for us. So the, the practice involved, first of all, sacrificing a spotless lamb. Okay, Never was a spotless person ever other than Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. There was no spot, no error in him. So he represents us as a spotless lamb. It pointed to him. They also had to take that lamb and set it apart and care for the lamb uh, for, f- uh, for four days prior to the day of sacrifice. Uh, and, and caring for that lamb meant, meant uh, fit healing whatever possible wounds might be. Or just making sure the lamb was in good shape or pouring of oil uh, on any uh, blemishes that might be there to make sure that the best that they had was perfect. So those four days of caring for and taking, uh, watching the lamb, taking it out of the herd and making it set, setting it apart. You know when Jesus entered Jerusalem? He entered it on that day. He came into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, on the day that the Passover lambs were being set apart. Ah, I mean, that's not by accident. That's such a beautiful picture of, of this prophetic feast that they've been practicing for, for centuries. That Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the spotless lamb comes into Jerusalem four days while these Passover lambs were being set apart. They would also lay hands on their lambs to represent their sins being transferred to the lamb and the lamb that was slain making, and God made Jesus, lays his hands on Jesus and makes him, the scripture says, to become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. All, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned his own way, but God laid on him the iniquities of us all. That God is the only one that could do that. He was offering up the sacrifice, but he lays his hands on the sacrifice. Christ is our sacrifice, dying for us on the cross. Of course, uh, the lamb was slain. As horrible as that sounds, and the blood was, was spread. You know, those that were, that were closest to the lamb had issues with it. And, and Jesus is a perfect picture of that. But they all celebrated together. Even those that were close to the lamb celebrated the fact that the death angel passed over them and continued to celebrate this feast for years. And then the, everything, that, then that lamb that night would be, uh, the meat would be roasted and they had to eat the whole lamb. If there, was, if there was not enough people in one family, they could share a lamb between families. But they would have to eat the whole lamb before the next day. And, uh, and Matthew Henry in his commentary talks about. That, that fire that roasted the lamb. Being the fire of the wrath of God. Placed on Jesus while he was on the cross. The wrath of God was laid on him. At the time when he turns and says. Father why have you forsaken me. That he bore our sins on himself. So it's with deep meaning. That Jesus shared this special meal with the disciples. They understood the significance of this meal. But what they didn't know is that Jesus had a new meaning in mind. They had the meaning of the Passover feast in mind as Jesus began to talk about his crucifixion, talk about shedding his blood, to talk about dying for them. And then, of course, in the middle of the feast, or at the end of the feast, after they shared the meal together, Jesus has this moment with his disciples where he breaks bread. And Mark chapter 14 is one of those all the Gospels cover it, but in Mark chapter 14, it says that Jesus did this. familiar passage to all of us because we continue to share communion of the Lord's Supper together. But Jesus gives them this experience, this new uh, completion of the vision that God had from the beginning of time. This new completion of the vision that's clearly displayed in, the, in many more elements of the feast than I've covered today. Where he says... Uh, And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. This is my body. He spoke to them about being the sacrificial lamb, about shedding his blood, about dying and he says, now, take this Passover meal with me. Take this bread and realize this is my body, broken for you. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it. And he said to them, this is, the bl- this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And all of a sudden, you know it happened. That this connection happened with Jesus and his disciples. Where all, all of those things that had meant nothing to them, again, in the past, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit had brought these new things to life. That they realized uh, that, that in the moment with Jesus, when he if they didn't realize it all then, that they realize it now at Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit was dwelling in them and living in them, that their sins had been washed away or God could not live in them. They couldn't be a child of God. But Jesus had completed this task. That Jesus became the sacrificial lamb and his body was broken for them and his blood would cause the death angel to pass over them. And just as Jesus was resurrected, that they would have eternal life. In that moment, the revelation that Jesus gave was clear. He was the Passover lamb. Again, the full meaning maybe would not have been clear until he rose from the dead and, and even more clear until the Holy Spirit came. But Jesus commanded them that night to continue to share this meal. He said, continue to do this as often as you do it. He didn't say you had to do it every day. He just said as often as you do it. You do it with this in mind. Remember that that everything's taken care of. And it's not based on you. It's based on the blood. And the blood has been shed for you. I am the Passover lamb. Quit trying to work for your salvation. Because I have already died for your salvation. Your sins are forgiven. And I've lived a righteous life. And so the righteousness of the lamb has been given to you. So Peter understood that the disciples understood that they remembered their deliverance from egyptian bondage and saw surely their own bondage to to the works of righteousness and to the to the sins in their life and the inability to overcome those sins and they needed a sacrificial lamb and peter gives a good summary of what that this feast meant when they celebrated it and this experience that they're having at pentecost 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 21, he says, So if you call God your Father, live your time as temporary residents on the earth in fear. He is the God who judges all people by what they have done, and he doesn't play favorites. This is God's Word version. I like the way it reads. Realize that you weren't set free from the worthless life handed down to you from your ancestors by a payment of silver or gold which can be destroyed. But rather, the payment that freed you was the precious blood of Christ, the lamb with no defects or imperfections. He is the lamb who was known long ago before the world existed. But for your good, he became publicly known in the last period of time. Through him, you believe in God who brought Christ back to life and gave him glory. So your faith and confidence are in God. Where was Israel's faith and confidence when they put blood on the doorpost? Their faith was in God. And in the same way, Christ, we need to put our faith in God, not in our ability to do impressive things. And the most impressive thing for an Israelite would be to bring silver or gold and lay it before the altar. And the more you give, the better off you are. And he says it's not about that. God has already taken care of this for you. It's not by your gifts of gold or silver, but it's by the blood that's been shed, the Lamb of God. So breaking of bread also referred to the celebration of their freedom in Christ because of His sacrifice for them. So these new spirit-filled believers, they now, under, now they understood the significance of the shed blood of Christ and they celebrated it together. So, so picture what's going on. When it says that They devoted themselves. That is, that they gave constant attention and constant commitment to breaking bread together. It meant that there was no limits to the community that was being built, that the Holy Spirit had drawn them together in such a way that they wanted to express mutual love and acceptance to all of the believers by sharing their food together. And in some cases, they didn't have much food, okay? They weren't like us with a wealth of food that shows itself in obesity, right? Right? They, they, lots of them didn't have food and, and we don't have time today but you can go read the problems in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with the, what they were doing with the Lord's Supper there is that they wouldn't wait on each other they were eating, just eating all the food well there was an issue with that because the Holy Spirit was not in that the Holy Spirit is in us being expressing mutual love in times like that in, in sharing of food it is giving you food before I take food for myself making sure that everybody shows up in the community before I can take food for myself. And again, this was a practice among believers who were doing koinonia together. These are not, this, is not just, this wasn't providing food for, the, for the, uh, the people down the street. This is providing food for the people in the body. And We're going to have an effect. If we're going to have an effect on the people down the street, which I hope that we will, it's going to be when we start doing community, biblical community together. That's what drew people in, is they saw believers doing community together in this way. It was not like them. It's not like the, the typical citizen uh, of Jerusalem for them to gather together, especially people from other countries, uh, from other places who didn't even speak their language, coming in uh, for Passover and, or for Pentecost, and them now taking them into their homes and all sharing meals together. But they had something in common. It was the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit inside of them causing them to do that. And so this beautiful picture is something like this, is that they would share meal together. They would eat till they were full. This is what happened the night that Jesus broke bread with his disciples. They ate a Passover lamb together. They shared the Passover, so they were following the Passover feast, so there was only 12 of them, and they ate a lot of meat that night, and unleavened bread, but I'm the one that focuses on the meat, not so much on the bread, but they shared this meal together, so they had had eaten together that night. They had remembered together the, the exodus of God out of Israel, and they had the best teacher in the world to teach them and remind them of what that exactly meant. And what God was doing. And then in the end of it, he says, and it's me. I'm the sacrificial lamb. And he breaks bread. And he says, take, this is my body. Mind-blowing for them. So wouldn't it be cool? Don't you think that the Holy Spirit would be in it for us as a body? That we would, don't you feel this? (laughs) The the Holy Spirit in you prompting us to, to share that kind of experience? where when we share meals together, which we do together with the 12, if you will, we have designed our life groups to be an expression of the 12, the relationship that Jesus had with his 12 disciples. Because there's all those, and if you want to know why, we've got a whole biblical basis for that in our church. This wasn't random. But that's one of the reasons, is that, we can, we can really do of Fellowship together with believers, following the Holy Spirit, and have time to each of us share what's going on in our lives and open up those things. But don't you think there'd be need for us to add an element to that? We share meals together. Uh, and by the way, let me just give an expression of that. When you, when you go to that meal, are you going like they went in 1 Corinthians 10? Again, we're not reading it today. But are you going to that meal to, for what you can get out of it? Or are you bringing your best? To that meal, for the sake of the other people, I think one expression of community for us is that we do our best, right? We're not, you know. I know everybody's busy. I'm busy. You know what I do on a typical life group night, which for us is three nights a week. I go buy my food early and I put it in a crock pot. I mean, you, I do, it, but I want it to be good. I want to bring something good for the body. You know, so I think it's a good expression. It's not. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Just think about that. I think it's a beautiful expression. I think I feel such, I, I feel love toward me when someone says, here's a meal. And I've taken some time to prepare this with you in mind. That expresses love to me. I know we have, uh, you know, Bethany and, uh, and the Meeks, we've been sharing meals through a meal plan. I know they've expressed that, that they feel loved when someone brings a meal, brings food to them, that they've carefully prepared for them. So it's a great way to express community to each other. So let's do that. Let's eat well on our life group nights. Okay? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> well, nothing but male voices going, amen. <laughs> All right, so some of you males need to be preparing some food. Okay, get after it. So yeah, putting that food together is because we love each other. It's an expression of love, of mutual love and acceptance. And another expression for us, I think, and again, now we're getting to our personal expressions. This is your application, body. Another personal expression, I think, that that expresses biblical community, is that we do like Jesus did. And if we're building relationships with people that are not believers, we eat with them as well. That life is a great place to invite someone. They're not gonna have the same effect that community has on the body, but inviting people that are not believers who are still questioning and asking questions about God and invite them in through meals together. And we do that through our bless acrostic when we talk about blessing which we'll talk about in the second half of the year blessing being a community that blesses we're talking one of the things is eating with people but then a third expression final expression that I want you to practice this week life group leaders and, and families uh, you know s- small groups life groups is to to add an element in as you feel led. you I've, I've been thinking about this because I don't want it to become a ru- a routine you know how quickly it can it can become Oh, we're having the Lord's Supper. We always do that. Okay, but I think we should add that element in, that we remember. Uh, but particularly, not just, not just go, you know, read the Scripture that I just read, and Jesus took bread, and then, okay, ready? Eat. Okay. No, man, let's add some meaning to that. Let, let's, let's talk about what that means to us. And if there is nobody that really has that experience uh, that week, that they really have something that they want to share with the group that, that, that communicates the grace of God shown through the sacrifice of Christ, if there's not something, it's okay. Don't do it that week. So here's the only way I can think of that would be good to do that, that would be really effective. And I want to challenge us to do this. I think this is for us. Is that every person in the body, every individual, as you experience God during the week, that you would come prepared with a loaf of bread or a whatever to express that. And that when the time comes after the meal is over, before you start get into the, into the word uh, together and study and talk about, digest the sermon, that, that you share your testimony of what God did that week. What is it that God spoke to you about that week? Now, some of you that, that horrifies you. I get it. But this is us doing community together. In your life group, you could do this. Most of you are getting pretty good about being open with, with each other and sharing what you feel. But if you have an encounter in the week where you had this sin that was on you and God gave you a word and He said, Man, what are you doing? I got this, and you go like, wow, I, I never read that like that before, and it's meaningful to you that you come to Life Group with some bread, and this is what I, I, I think would bring joy to everybody in this group, and so much joy to the Lord. Wouldn't it be cool if, if, if 15 people came to Life Group with 15 loaves of bread, or 15 pieces of bread, or 15 somethings to share, <laughs> you know, not as your only meal, I'm just saying, bring the meat, okay, <laughs> or, or we're going to lose everybody. Come in there and share that meal together and then at the close of the meal before you have your Bible study, break bread together. Share your testimony of how the shed blood of Christ has intervened for you during the week. The grace of God has been experienced during the week and then eat something together. I think it would add a great element to what we're experiencing together and I feel like that's the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? I, I, I feel like that's the Holy Spirit in me that's doing that. And if you if you have any questions about that or, or you know, if you feel that too, let's, let's start doing that in our life groups. So life group leaders, you take the lead on that. You may not do this. Let's do it this week, okay, because this is the passion week. Let's, let's everybody be thinking this week of putting yourself in the place of the disciples. If nothing else, the bondage that they were facing in Egypt is exactly the same. It's meant to be a, a, a picture of our bondage and sin, the struggles that we're having with our own sins. At least to be able to come and say, I have been struggling with this this week. I'm not over it, but I am so thankful for the shed blood of Christ. My sin's forgiven. God passes over. He passes over. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Okay? So some expressions for us. I do believe breaking new bread is something for us. This is not something that was only for those, those new believers and the apostles. This is something, an expression the Lord wants us to share together. So let's ask the Lord together. Let's ask this morning. Let's pray for a minute. Let's ask the Lord to reveal to us how he wants us to to walk in this truth and what expression he has for us and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Lord, we come to you uh, with bread in mind, with food in mind this morning, Lord, and we, uh, we see what was going on in the book of Acts, and we find ourselves in the, in the expression there, but I pray for sp- specific applications for all of us today. God, that, that mo- more than anything, that we would picture ourselves as those people who are putting our trust completely in the blood of the Lamb for the forgiveness of our sins. If there's anybody here today who is still under bondage to, to a legalistic system of rules and regulations and are fighting, Lord, and struggling because they don't really have an understanding of the shed blood of Christ. And I pray for right, that right now, God, that you would put it in the culture of this body that we would never, Lord, that we would never break bread again without remembering that our sins are forgiven. But God, give us some some expressions by your Spirit for our life groups that we can enjoy together. Help us to understand how to express mutual love to one another and how to enjoy each other in that setting, how to, who to invite and how to invite people that are not believers into our group. And Father, we just pray that you would draw us closer to one another and closer to you. That our vertical and horizontal relationships will be affected in powerful ways as we commit ourselves to the breaking of bread. Father, all these things that you've spoken to our body, I pray that you'll make them real to us. That If there's anybody here, God, that has never had an authentic relationship with you, that today, before they leave this, this place, God, that they would come see me or one of our elders or some believer that they know and, and get that settled. If your Holy Spirit's been drawing them today, I pray that today they will settle that. Lord, if we haven't yet given our our full expression to our devotion to the apostles' teaching of the Word of God, Lord, get us committed to that, to being here on Sundays to hear your Word, to spending time alone with you, to spending time in life groups and fighting the enemy's tactics to keep us out of the Word of God. Lord, help us devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. If anybody last week heard the message and has not yet committed themselves to eo with us, and you're calling them to be a part of this body, I pray that they would devote themselves to you and to us. Lord, to, to remove uh, with your, uh, Lord, allow you to remove disobedience, darkness from their lives so they can walk in fellowship with us and with you. Father, help us know how to help each other with that. And then, God, begin to give us expressions of community, ways that we can participate together. We ask for this today, God, expecting that you're going to help us. And we thank you for your word and the way you are instructing us. In Jesus' name.